Father, we come before you, recognizing you as the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the God of the burning bush, the great I Am, Jesus, the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit who ministers to us on this earth while, Jesus, we wait for you and your return. We would ask, Lord, that you would teach us, guide us, fill us full of your Spirit. May we go from this place today transformed. Not that we mostly don't believe in here, Lord, but that we would take a new step, a new step forward in faith and walking with you. We pray that you would accomplish this, Lord, in a way that is, as you do, that is loving and kind. And help us, Lord, never to uh, take for granted the salvation you have given to us, but give us your heart for the lost, for those who are perishing. This is our desire, Lord. So please guide and direct today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, today is Palm Sunday, and next weekend is Easter Sunday. And have you ever wondered why Easter Sunday changes? Like next week, it's going to be on April 1st. And it's not April Fool's. It's not like, oh, we're going to pull a fast one on you, but it's April 1st. And sometimes it's at the end of March, and sometimes it's in April, a week or two into April. And you go, what's with that? And there's a reason for that, that that takes place. And it it all goes back to God setting up the festival of Passover. See, the, the Jews, they have a calendar. It's the Jewish calendar. And by their reckoning, it is the year 5,778 is the year on their calendar. For us, it's 2018. They run it all the way back to Adam. And they say, this is how long we have been on the earth since creation. And so we're going to keep that date. And so that's what the Jews use, but we don't. And by the way, their calendar is a lunar calendar. They go by the moon and how that rotates around the earth. Our calendar is based on the sun, where we go around the sun. And we have these four points as the earth rotates around the sun, and we just passed the vernal equinox on March 20th at 9.15 a.m. It was last week. Perhaps you guys heard about it on the radio. And what that means is the earth is a ball, and it's on its axis. And as it's on that axis, it goes around the sun. And so you have the winter solstice, and you have the summer solstice, and then you have the spring, and then you have the fall. On the winter solstice, if the moon is, say, the center of this lectern here, and we are over here as the earth, and the ball is right here, and the axis is pointing away, we're up on top, and that is the winter solstice. We are the farthest away at that point from the sun where we are in the northern hemisphere. Not the southern hemisphere, but the northern hemisphere. On the opposite side of that, we are the closest to the sun at that particular time in the summer solstice. Well, we're in between. We're on this line right here. This line means the days and the nights are equal in length. That's where you get the solstice and the equinox equa is equal nox is referring to the night and you can go back into that it's a goddess and stuff like that but it refers to the night where the night is equal 
to the day. And the solstice means sun stops. It seems like the sun stops. It, it, the sun, it's either the highest or it's the lowest. It goes in this thing like this. It goes up and down. We notice it that the sun goes farther south and farther north. And so that's what happens. And God said with that lunar cycle that we have as we go, as the uh, moon goes around the earth, there are 12 months in the year. But over, I think it's, uh, I have to look at my notes, I'll get to it in a minute. I think it's over 19 years, seven times there is a leap year because they start falling behind. And so they have to throw in a second month every so often to catch up because of the lunar cycle where what do we do? We throw in an extra day, a leap year every four years. And it's February 29th. If your birthday is February 29th, you're only what, six years old now? Something like that. But that's the differences in the two. And the Lord said, I want this to be a spring festival. There are spring festivals and there are fall festivals. This is a spring festival for the Jews. And so the Lord determined, you shall do this all the time. This shall be in the spring. This is why Passover, it moves. It moves according to the vernal equinox, the first full moon after the vernal equinox. That's the Sunday right after that. That's the time that we have Easter. The Saturday right after that, that's the time they celebrate Passover. So that's why it moves, because it's never constant, because they're either adding a month during these years that go by, or we're adding days, and so it shifts back and forth. And the Lord determined that this would be set up for all of eternity, but I'm going to give you an interesting fact with this. There are those who are out there that say, you know, the Lord has a way of dealing with numbers and these numbers like for instance what how many days in a week seven days in a week you know the the sixth day the seventh day is the new day right you get to sunday the seventh day or actually it's number one day then you have six more days and you have the sunday so it's like six and one on the jewish calendar how many years did i say are there five thousand seven hundred and seventy eight they believe some believe that there is a sabbath of a thousand years and they divide up into dispensations these millennial time periods that are in there we are in the time period from 5,000 to 6,000 I just told you the date is 5,778 they believe that the week will end at 6,000 guess what happens with the one that's the millennial reign now how close are we in this calendar could we be a decade off? Could we be 100 years off? Maybe. We could be. And this is what they say is based on Scripture. I'm going to give you those Scriptures here. I'm just going to take this little parenthetical thought here. I thought it was interesting to see this. It's called the Millennial Sabbath. In Psalm chapter 90, verse 4, it says, For a thousand years in your, your sight is like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. So how long does it take for the Lord to experience a thousand years? It's nothing. I mean, he's just, he's outside of time. Another scripture, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anybody to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so he's saying he's waiting, and he's waiting for thousands of years. Now, we're 
in our Sabbath day's rest, being inside of Jesus Christ. But if God is going to be consistent, you have this six-in-one pattern. So if we get to the 6,000 years, it seems logical that that next thousand years would be the thousand-year reign of Christ. But also, if you start counting from the time of Jesus, they take this verse, and I'll tell you what I think about all this in a minute. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. How many years since Jesus was crucified? Two days. It's been two days. And on the beginning of the third day, that's when they say he's going to come back and set up his millennial reign. Now, if that's the case, if just say it was true, how close are we? Hello? He is, you know, he could be right at the door. And... We don't know how accurate the Hebrew calendar is. I mean, who was around when Adam was around to get his birthday? You know, that was day one, right? But we don't know. Moses came afterwards and who made up the calendar? We don't know. I I just thought it was interesting that that's there. Now, am I really excited about this? Is it going to happen anytime? Well, yeah, the rapture could happen anytime. But will this take place? I don't know. It could It may not. I just thought you ought to know that God does have a plan and he spelled out this plan for us. Even Palm Sunday is in his plan. Now, I talk to you about this every single year, how in Daniel chapter 9, there's a prophecy given when Palm Sunday was prophesied to take place. But before we get there, we're going to go over a few things about our Easter or Resurrection Day celebration. As I said, there are the spring festivals for the Jews. There's the Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, and Pentecost, and the fall festivals are trumpets, atonement, tabernacles, and Hanukkah. But the Passover begins on the 15th day of the month of Nisan. Now, that is going to happen next weekend if you're going by the, the Jewish calendar. And, of course, this week between now and... And when that takes place, the Passover, Jesus was crucified on the Passover. And so that's where we put our celebration, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that week that is in there, the Gospels, huge chunks of the Gospels are dedicated to that last week. It's also called the Passion Week. So we have Palm Sunday or we have the Passion Week that is there leading up to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we call Easter or Resurrection Day. But what have we done with these celebrations that have been set up in times of old in the Old Testament by God himself and the Jews who are wandering through the wilderness? They started observing these things, and we actually follow that tradition coming out of Judaism. Christianity comes out of Judaism. So what is it that we have done? Like we have decided to set up things on our calendar our calendar that we have a a church calendar as well. Now, we don't observe here a church calendar, but do you know what day February 14th of this year was on the church calendar? It was Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday, you go, wait, wait, wait a second, what's Ash Wednesday? You know what the day before that, the the time right before that is? It's a time just to have a hootenanny. It's called Mardi Gras and Fat Tuesday. And just the beads and everything else. You know, I was listening to um, 
uh, a radio program in Biloxi, Mississippi this last week. And Krispy Kreme Donuts is offering a dozen donuts to anybody that has 12 pounds of beads they want to bring in. And, it, you know, I don't know what they're doing with the beads, but that's what they're talking about. And, if I, and I've been in Biloxi at this time. We went back there for um, uh, Katrina, and I had to go into Biloxi. There was a parade and all these necklaces and people. I mean, they were just having a, a raucous time out there. And these are people from the Catholic faith all over the world. It's a time from after the Magi show up after Christmas, you know, the 12 days of Christmas, there's a time until February 14th that you just have at it, man. You just have a party. And they, Brazil, you ever hear about Mardi Gras in Brazil and everything? I mean, they are just given to a raucous lifestyle and wassailing and all kinds of things that probably ought not to be engaged in. But then when Ash Wednesday comes, where, where do they get the ash? They get the ash from the palms on Palm Sunday. They collect them. They burn them. It turns into ashes. They save it until Ash Wednesday. Then you take those ashes and you put it on your forehead. And this is what the church has done. So you have your time of free fallen living. Then Ash Wednesday shows up, and then that brings in the Lenten season. And the Lenten season comes until Passover or until Easter. And that's when you give up something. Yesterday I heard somebody on the radio. I don't know if you listened to Kim Commando, the computer woman, but she gave up. She's Catholic, I guess. She gave up coffee. And it was just terrible the first couple of weeks. But after that, it was okay. But people who are in the Catholic faith, they give up something that they really like, they really enjoy, showing God their sacrifice and what they want, you know. And I understand why people do that. But I also understand God doesn't want the sacrifice if he doesn't have our heart. He wants our heart. So no matter what you give up, to obey is better than sacrifice, Scripture says. And so if you want to give up something for the Lenten season, wonderful. But first, give up your heart to the Lord. Don't give up that stuff and think that he's pleased with that. You know, so, so many people around the world are involved in this cycle. I was talking to Megan. She went uh, witnessing over at uh, Parkway Plaza and talking to some Catholic guys there, and they're, they're, and I've witnessed to some Catholic people before, and it's just like, well, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Catholic. And it's like, well, no, you're, you're Christians. They were first called Christians at Antioch. And, and people say, well, no, I'm a Catholic. That's what I am, I'm a Catholic. Well, okay, you're a Catholic. I'll, I'll let you be a Catholic, that's fine. But I'm going to call you a Christian just because, you know, something like that. You, you don't want to be contentious about it, but we're Christians if we believe in Christ. And more importantly, we're supposed to be disciples. So this is the idea of the church calendar. You have the time of just stepping out there and doing it, whatever you want and sinful behavior. Then Ash Wednesday comes, you put ash on your head, and it's a time of you know, solemn gratitude towards God and giving up things and then Passover comes and then you have the stretch that goes back to Christmas and we get in this mode and it's all religious. The Bible says religion pure and undefiled is this, ministering to the widows and orphans and their infliction. That's religion. Religion is not offering sacrifice and living like hell the rest of the time. The Lord wants us to give him our hearts, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. That's what it says. And so you have carnival, uh, carnival, you have Fat Tuesday or Shrove, 
uh, Tuesday, the Ash Wednesday, the Eastern Orthodox Church. They don't call it Ash Wednesday. They call it, uh, they start Lent on Clean Monday is what they call it. And, and so the church has come up with all of these ideas of what the Passion Week is supposed to be, what Passover is supposed to be, what Palm Sunday is supposed to be. And we just want the pure Word of God, just as it drips, it nourishes, and it shows us what Palm Sunday is all about. So this Passion Week that comes up, this is based on a scripture, one of the scriptures, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. And I said this scripture, New Testament, it dedicates a lot of time to this last week. It's very important in Matthew, in chapters 21 through 27, Mark chapter 11 through 15, Luke chapter 19 through 23, and John chapter 12 through 19. That's how, it's like most of the Gospels is dedicated to that last week. And since God has dedicated so much time in his word to it, we should know what it's all about. You've heard me say this before. If you don't want a young child to do something, how many times do you say no? Once? No, 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 no. Before they do something to injure themselves? Well, it's God is doing that. Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, Palm, 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 Palm Sunday. Resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. He just keeps on saying it. Would it get you your attention? If somebody kept giving you the same word over and 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 over, you get the idea, right? So that's what he's doing here. Now, also with this Passion Week, we, in our wisdom as human beings, we've decided to give each day in the week a name in the church calendar. Now you have Holy Monday. This is the day that Jesus cleanses the temple and he receives praise by the children and curses the fig tree. That's what he does. It's a Holy Monday. Holy Tuesday, according according to common interpretation of the Bible, Holy Tuesday is when Jesus issued various challenges to the Pharisees and the Sadducees over subjects such as marriage in heaven in Matthew chapter 22. Remember the Mormons, they get sealed in the temple so that they'll be married in heaven. And if you just take them to Matthew 22, where Jesus tells the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you err because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. There is neither marrying nor given in marriage in heaven. When I've told that to some Mormons, they've come back and said, well, there's just not the ceremony. What are you talking about? They are like the angels. Angels are not married. They're dedicated to the God. And, and if they are married, or if we are married when we go there, we're committing adultery. Why? Because we're the bride of Christ. If we're married to somebody else up in heaven being the bride of Christ in Ephesians chapter 5, we're sinning all over the place. And God's not going to do that. So we are not married in heaven to each other. Patty, um, we've talked about this before. Will we know each other? You know, yes, we'll know each other. We're going to be even closer then. I won't be such a wascal, you know, up there. And, and she's going to be even more beautiful. And it's just going to be a fantastic existence up there. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. It's going to be wonderful. And we're married to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And everything is going to be renewed. 
and, and talk about a blissful existence, I think it's going to be quite exciting. It'll be more exciting than any ride at a carnival you've ever been on, and it will be constant like that. And when we get to heaven, the Lord will teach us forever because his knowledge is infinite. It never runs out. And the things he's going to have us do are going to be infinite. We're just going to go from glory to glory, like Scripture says. And, you know, our mind would explode. My mind just blow my mind, man. Raul Reese used to say that. It blows my mind. It will blow your mind being up there. You wouldn't be able to contain it if you knew what was going to take place up there. So we have Holy Monday. We have Holy Tuesday. Then we have Spy Wednesday. Spy Wednesday is where Mary took the spikenard, broke it over Jesus, and anointed him for his burial that was coming up. Then Monday, Thursday, or Holy Thursday, this is where the Last Supper took place, and there was a mandate or a mandatum from Jesus. That's why it's called Monday, Thursday. It's because Jesus gave a mandate. Do you remember what Jesus did at the Last Supper Concerning his disciples. He did something. And he says you do it too. Yes. He washed the feet of the disciples. Who in here has been to a foot washing service? Three, four. Oh. Maybe we'll do that sometime. Yeah. (laughs) People get a nervous laugh. Ever have somebody come take off your shoes and wash your feet? Unless you're getting a pedicure, you know, and if you did it in front of others as well. I've seen this happen. And uh, I once saw, it was my pastor at the time, he pulled out from underneath the lectern, he pulled out a bowl of water. And he walked down to the front row and the person wasn't expecting it. Took off the shoes of the individual. I thought they were going to faint. They turned all colors of flush red they were so embarrassed that somebody would actually touch their feet and put them and wash them. And it, it was just excruciating for that person. I was just praying for them the whole time. You know, or just, just shadow over them so this wouldn't be so bad, you know. But Jesus said, I want you, me, all of us, to be the servant to others who need their feet washed. Remember, inside the household at that time, were the individuals who were the lowest of the servants in the household. They were in charge of washing the feet of everybody else. And so Jesus demonstrated, you are to be the servant of everybody. And what kind of servant? The lowliest servant. Not the one who is the head of the household, but the lowliest servant. And so that was the mandatum or the mandate that was given to the people or given to the disciples on that Thursday. And we follow that. Then there's holier Good Friday. Of course, this is when Jesus was crucified by the Romans and turned over, of course, by the Jewish leaders at that time. Then the Holy Saturday, this is when Jesus rested. And, of course, we're supposed to rest at that time. And then comes the resurrection day. So we see that this has all been set up by Jesus. And we give our little tags to all of it. And God just wants us to recognize that he came, presented himself on this Palm Sunday, according to scripture, he did this. And then all the acts that took place during his life, everything that he did 
we're supposed to make ourselves familiar with that. He wants us to know exactly what had happened. Because in the Synoptic Gospels, several of these stories are repeated. Uh, And once they're repeated, sometimes twice, sometimes three times, God wants us to know about that information. So Palm Sunday, it celebrates the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, as was prophesied in Zechariah 9.9 and elsewhere in Daniel that we'll get to in a minute. And in the Jewish calendar, it is the 10th day of the month of Nisan. I think I said the 15th before, but the day that Jewish families would select the lamb that would be sacrificed on the 14th day. So it's the 15th day that is the Passover, but it is on this particular day, the 10th day of the month of Nisan, that they select the lamb that is supposed to be sacrificed. The family would get together, go, okay, yeah, that that lamb is approved by the priest. We're going to take this lamb and celebrate our Passover. That's the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Do you see the connection there? Jesus presents himself to be the sacrifice. The lamb is selected at that time to be the sacrifice. The lamb remains alive all week. Jesus remained alive all week, then was sacrificed. His blood was spilled for us. The blood of the lamb is put on the doorpost and the lintel. God set this up on purpose thousands of years before Jesus would show up. He wanted people to get the connection because obviously no one would know unless God told us in ahead, of, ahead of time that this was going to take place. And it says in Scripture that God does nothing without first telling his prophets. Now, I want to read these accounts here. Luke's account, if you have your Bible, you should probably write in the front like Palm Sunday and just write down uh, these particular Scriptures as we go through them. This is Luke's account of the Palm Sunday. Luke chapter 19, verses 29 through 44. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany on the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. No one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, if you own some horses, some stranger comes off the street, a couple of guys, they untie your horse, and uh, they go, Hey, man, what are you doing? And you say, The Lord has need of it. Oh, okay. Go ahead. What if somebody come up to your car? I got a key that's going to work in this car. I'm going to take your car. What are you doing? Uh, The Lord has need of it. And they get in the car and they just drive off. Oh, yeah, okay. The Lord needs it, right? I've tried to reconcile this. Well, what, what did the Lord do? Did he speak to them in a dream? This is what's going to happen. Did uh, somebody go ahead? I I don't know, but it, for all intents and purposes, it was miraculous the way God communicated to the owners of this little donkey that the Lord's going to have need of it. So going on with this, verse 35, they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices 
for all the miracles they had seen. Like I, I sang those Jewish-flavored songs there. They, they were screaming and yelling. They, now, their palm branches, they have date palms over there. I don't know if you know what a date palm is, but they have these spikes on them uh, towards the end. Like if you look at this palm right here, down towards the end, if you go to the corner of the building on the outside here, there's called Phoenix Robolinis out there. And if you get up inside there and you try to grab some, those spikes will just go right through your arms. Well, it, when it comes to the date palms, you can kill somebody with those things. I mean, they are just spikes. And so they have to cut those things down and then they're waving them. And how long are they? 20 feet long. You know, and they're waving. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to give you a visual. So they're here and they're going, Hosanna! You know, they're just waving this thing back and everybody is waving it back and forth. And they're having just a wonderful time. And then they're taking off their outer cloaks and they're throwing them down. They're, Get out of the way. Get out, here it comes. And they're throwing that thing down there and they threw it on the little donkey. And what does all that mean? Would, do we do that here? You know, if there's a fight or something, I don't know if you guys remember, but when Muhammad Ali would come out, you know, and he came out in, inside, I think it was in Vegas once, he was coming down and people are kind of hanging over the rail going, oh, Muhammad Ali, you know, and they're, they want to just touch him type of thing. And they're just screaming at the top of their lungs when Jesus comes down, give them some room and they're waving these things in the cloaks. What is all that about? Hold on, I'll get to it. He goes on. It says, when he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples, verse 37, began joyfully to praise God and loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They were upset. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Uh, when I went to uh, Israel, one of the times I was there, I, we were down in that area, and uh, <clears throat> there were rocks down there. Now, if you go to Israel, invariably, you're going to get a rock. You want to take a rock home with you. And uh, I picked up a rock that was there, and I thought to myself, I wonder if this was one of the, a part of a stone that was part of the temple, you know, that was there, that now it's here. It, they don't move far, you know, rocks, they don't travel and so I thought, wow, maybe that's one. So it's at home. And I come home, and every once in a while I look at it, and I wait for it to say, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. You know, something like that. It, it hasn't yet, but I would love for it to do that, you know, having those stones. Or when we went to the, the valley where David slew Goliath, it, it has these two embankments on either side, and the bus pulls up. And in the middle is this dry creek area and all these rocks around there. And I picked up one of them that David used that he took to use on Goliath, and I have it at home too. I, I picked up one of those. But this idea of the rocks crying out, and it, that would have been quite a sight to see, uh, that happened where the rocks actually get lips and they start screaming out somehow. But as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. In other words, judgment is going to come. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And he told them, he said, this would be the exact day. 
Now, where did it say that exactly? Well, first let me read John chapter 12, verse 12 to 16. The next day a great crowd had come from for the feast, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey, a colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. And I'm not going to read Mark's account, but it's Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. The same thing is taking place there where they go and get the colt and the cloaks are out there. Now, why the cloak? Why the palm branches? Why the donkey? And why the particular day? The cloaks are a sign that they are showing we are in submission to your authority. When you take off your cloak and you throw it down underneath somebody to walk on, that's what it meant back then. They're saying, we submit to your authority. They were basically saying, you are the king. You are the one that is to come. And so with that, you have the palm branches. Why the palm branches? When a king had a big victory, they would cut down the palm branches and they would wave them out there. And you would have... You would have the soldiers go by, you would have the prisoners go by, you would have the generals go by, and then you'd have the king go by, and everybody would just be waving these. It would be a big celebration that would take place in any of the ancient cities at that time. Well, why the donkey? Why did Jesus get on a little donkey? You know, and this thing is it's small. You know, Kim brings that uh, one little donkey to the Christmas on the main. Have you seen that little guy? Could you, can you imagine getting on him? I mean, he's... He's only about this big, you know, he's not very big at all, but he, boy, he has a honker, you know, he, you know, he just takes off, you can hear him, but he's small. And so Jesus gets on him, never before ridden, young, and he rides and this little donkey's, you know, just kind of going along and the king is riding on, it might as well have been a duck. You know, he, he's riding on this little animal that is there. Well, why? Because Jesus wanted to portray himself with humility. He wasn't a conquering general or king on a horse. And by the way, next time he comes back, he's going to be on a horse. And when he's on a horse, oh, I, I should just read it to you. Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on a white horse and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the heavens are going to go open up, and this steed, I don't know how big, you think of a Clydesdale. This thing is going to be fiery. It probably spits fire out its nostrils. I don't know, but it's a white horse and Jesus is on it and he has this crimson robe on and all of the armies have white robes on. By the way, we're coming back with him. 
And so when we, and it's going to be loud. It's going to be huge. And he's probably going to circle the earth and then he's going to land on the Mount of Olives and walk over and he's going to conquer. Iron scepter, that means smashing. That's what that means. It is not a, a scepter out of feathers. He is going to rule with an iron rod. But this time he shows up on this little bitty donkey. He's humble. He's a servant. He's going to wash the feet of the disciples. And he tells us, do likewise. And so we have... The cloaks, the branches, the donkey. Why that particular day? In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, no one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. That's a total of 49 and 434, which means 483 years. He says, when that decree comes, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue to the end and desolations have been decreed. And, And so it talks about the Antichrist after that, how the tribulation is going to take place. But he gives the exact amount of time from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, then the Messiah will come on that day, 483 years later. It was 173,880 days, according to the prophetic calendar that has a 360-day year. It was the exact day that he showed up. And Jesus said that the place is going to be destroyed because they did not recognize the time of his coming and it was given to him in exact numbers by the way a book was written about this sir robert anderson the coming prince and he goes through all the details of how artaxerxes longimanus in march 5th on march 5th 444 bc gave this decree and so you count from that day and you know He's going to come back. And it's like the end of the tribulation. The end of the book of Daniel talks about the person who waits to the end. And he tells us from the abomination which makes desolate, there's an exact number of days before Jesus restores everything. So if somebody makes it through the tribulation, all they have to do is count down and survive. Most people will die during that time and they will be judged. And so what are we supposed to take away from this? God set this up so we would know about it. We celebrate it. Every year, his triumphal entry, God becomes a man, shows up as a servant, says, do likewise, but next time, I hope you're on his side, is what the scripture really is telling us. Please choose to be with Christ, because judgment is coming. There is life in his name, or there is judgment under his hand. That's what he's telling us. And so God has his plan to save those under judgment. He is a God of mercy and he is a God of grace. He is gracious and compassionate, enduring in love. And he is faithful in all things. He did this because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And he offers that to all of us. All we have to do is receive it. We just have to receive the love that he promised, the eternal life, the blessing, and the peace. If we reject the salvation, that's all that's left for us, just judgment. God said there's only two ways to go when we die. There's not a third. In the men's group, we talked about purgatory and why purgatory was there, a couple of reasons. 
at least why it was developed by man, by humankind. It was because, well, on one hand, God's not so mean that he's going to make people just um, all go to hell. They can work it off if they want to, which means it's your righteousness that has to take place, which is a corruption of the scripture. Another one is you can buy your way out through indulgences. If you just give some money, we'll pray for you. And the priest has the ability to absolve sins. So therefore, you're not going to have to work off the sins. Therefore, we'll take 10,000 years off of purgatory and you get a straight line right in. So if you had money, you got into heaven. What do you think God thinks about that? (laughs) No way. And, And it is not a doctrine that is in Scripture. It is by His grace we are saved. And so you guys know, but I need to remind you today, how how do you get into a concert? If you go over the wall, what happens to you? You are a thief and a robber, right? What does Christ say about the person who gets into heaven that doesn't have the, the clothes on, the white clothes? You're a thief and a robber. You cannot get into heaven by hopping over a fence. At the last minute, you know, I'm just going to hop over there. Not that you can't be saved on a death bed conversion. You can. But this idea, I'm putting it off. I'm just going to live like it's Mardi Gras, right? At the end, well, God says, no, don't do that. Today is the day of salvation. So he says, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And you have to be sincere. It's not like... You guys remember the uh, Gettysburg Address? Four score and seven years ago, our fathers set forth on this continent a new nation. A nation conceived and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Does that make me Abraham Lincoln? It doesn't. So if, if you just say it, even if I believe it, it doesn't make me Abraham Lincoln, but if you say it and believe it when it comes to confessing Jesus as Lord, he promises to save us if we're sincere. That's all that's required. Now, at this particular time, I'm going to say a prayer, and I just want everybody to repeat after me. If you're already a believer in Christ, wonderful. We'll just cement it in with mortar. Okay, if you're not a believer in Christ or you're not sure, then hey, you get to be part of the family that lives forever. Not that you're not going to have problems here on earth. Guess what? You'll probably have a little more persecution, but the glory that awaits us doesn't even compare. And so I want to pray right now, and I just want you to repeat after me, everybody that's in here, if you want to be saved. If you don't want to be saved, if you're just going, forget it. I don't want this. Okay, don't say it. Or say it and don't be sincere. But let's say it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you forgive us of our sins. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Please save us from our sins in Jesus name amen now if you said that you're in you're in like flint the next part is confess me before men the next part is tell what you've done the next part is be a disciple
One of the ways you know if the salvation is pure and it has set into your life is you will start producing fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You'll be able to do that because God is helping you to do that. But you need to grow up in your faith. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about those who have never grown up in their faith. They don't know what's going on. I want to encourage you guys to go to a study. Be faithful about that. Carve out the time. Make sure you're there. Make sure you're fellowshipping. If you do that, God's blessing rests upon you. And you'll have a wonderful entry into kingdom, the kingdom of God. And you will never be sorry for that decision. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Palm Sunday and this uh, season, this last week. Help us to be in an attitude of prayer all week long for those who need to have this gift of salvation. And those who have been witnessed to, Lord, I pray that the seeds would germinate. You are the one who causes it to grow. And Father, you have given us the task of watering those seeds. But I pray that everyone in here and everyone we come in contact with would want to become your disciple and completely sell out to you. For we work for the kingdom to come, not for things in this life. We thank you for those reminders in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.